I look where I was a couple years ago and where I'm at now, it's, uh, I wasn't sure that that was possible. So to be able to do this is pretty special. It definitely means uh, a hell of a lot more to me. Brooks Kepka is a major champion once again. Major number five for Brooks. One in pretty impressive fashion, it must be said, at the USPGA or PGA, whatever. Let's not get into that over the weekend. We're going to be discussing that on today's episode of the Bunkered Podcast in association with Callaway. Hello and welcome. Michael McEwen here. If I sound a little bit echoey, it's got nothing to do with the fact that, well, we're for a start not in Bryce's mansion, chateau, castle, whatever it's called. We're actually in a different part of the office because things are happening, as they would say, upstairs in our little broom cupboard. So that's the reason for the audio. Just go with it. We are going with it. It makes us sound a little bit better, I think, anyway. So enough about that. Hello, Bryce Ritchie, Bunker Editor. Good morning. You are back from London, I gather. Yes, and <laughs> I'm now poor. Oh, dear. Yeah. So you were in London yeah, a little bit at, over the weekend. Why? Uh, I was at the Highway Country Music Festival. I know there's a lot of guys going, that's a lot of rubbish. But it was, so, it was amazing. That was the first ever time at the the Royal Abbot Hall, darling. Oh, very nice. For I mean, country music? Yes. Fan- fantastic venue. Doesn't seem never, like that's the sort of place you would go for country music yeah, or the sort yeah, of no. place that would that, put it on. Isn't that where they do the proms? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And like the, what do you call it? The Royal Variety Show and yeah, stuff like that's that. that's a lot of garbage. Oh, brilliant. Great venue. I, I just need to, to be honest, I need to go and get another job now. Okay, that expensive. Yes. So how much, let's put it into terms we all understand, how much for a pint? Uh, one of the venues, one of the places was £7.50 and then another one was about £9.50. Lovely. I, I bought around, that was, it was £18 something. And you pre- they pretty much had to call the place to pull me <laughs> off the barman. £18 for two drinks. What was the other drink? A gin and tonic. Right, so a pint of lager and a gin and tonic, and there's no change out of eighteen quid. Yeah, ouch. And I don't even think that's uh, that's not scary London prices. That was just you know a bar in Kensington. So Kensington, Kensington, hey. Kensington, <laughs> darling. Yes, one was going to Kensington. Well, one actually, must expect to pay I, a lot of money. I went to see Freddie Mercury's house because I've never been before, and I'm a big Queen mm-hmm. fan. And uh, I went to his house, and then I saw it and left. <laughs> going to say, what can you do at Freddie's house? Just, Just look at yeah. it and take pictures and pay your respects and then move on. Very good. So I did. It, was it big? Yes. Big wall, big fence, big security scene. But the house is slightly smaller than I imagined it to be. But it's still obviously massive. I think it's worth about £12 million. What? Yeah. I think it's in Kensington. It's a fortune. Jeez. And, and it's, you, a, it's a big house. It's got rooms. And so. you said that Freddie's ex still lives there, is that yes, right? Yes, his very first girlfriend. What are we talking about? We're going to get to golf in a second. I'm golf genuinely right. interested. Yes, Mary Austin lives there. Yes. Fantastic. So London, but, you know, we're just we Glasgow boys, but I love London. Thought it was great. Great city. Love, absolutely brilliant. Always something I even went on public transport, <laughs> which I don't like to do, but we, I used a bus. It's the first time I've been in a bus for about five years. Good for you, but back in time for the final round of the yes. PGA last night, obviously. So, Brooks Kepka, as I said at the start, he is the winner of the Bonamaker now for the third time. Five majors in total. We'll get to Brooks in a second, we'll get to the other contenders and some of the incredible storylines in a second, but let's start, as we always do, with a major recap. Your thoughts in summary. Well, 
slight, slight backtrack. I did think for the first, the first few, probably the first nine on Thursday, I thought this is dull. I didn't like the golf course. I didn't like the scene. It just didn't appear that exciting. But then, how much, how much interest are you going to get on the first sort of three or four hours of a of a major? And I, I think you could maybe, maybe critique it a wee bit too much. It, it got better as the week went on. Let's put it that way. Yep. I know you weren't a huge, and I'm interested to hear what you've got to say because you didn't appear to be a huge fan of the PGA, Michael. So on Friday morning on the Bunkered website, I wrote a bit about the identity crisis that the PGA has had, and I believe still has. Look, we had a, a great final round, which we'll cover in a second, but doesn't take away for me from the fact that the PGA still has problems that it needs to address. Yeah certainly around its identity. What I did write, I think the opening line was events of the next 48, 72 hours might render what I'm about to say quite foolish and might make it look a bit daft. There will be people who've read that who I'm quite certain are ready to come at me with both barrels. Like, I did make you look daft, didn't I? No, it didn't because the, we'll, we'll have the same problems next year. I think what you talk about there when you speak of the first three or four hours not being especially great, the first round being a bit of a, a damp squib, and are we being too critical? No, I don't think we are, because the reason that you enjoy the first three or four hours of the other majors is because there is a real tangible excitement in the lead up to it. Yeah, it's a bit of There wasn't that yeah. with the PGA. The PGA suffered last week from the fact that there wasn't really that much momentum. There wasn't really that much in the way of interest or excitement compared to the other three majors. I don't think the course necessarily helped. By the end of the week, I did enjoy the course, but I didn't like it at first. Yeah, the course course didn't help. I I, I couldn't understand why they're making it so difficult. Mm -hmm. Why has it got this ridiculously thick rough? It could, almost like it couldn't decide whether it wanted to be a PGA Tour event like... Wells Fargo. Wells Fargo or Quail Hollow or something, or it wanted to be winged foot Mm -hmm. for the US Open. It was like somewhere in the middle and... I don't remember the PGA ever being this no. ridiculously difficult golf course, trees everywhere, you know, thick, thick, rough, sloping, fast greens. I thought some of the comp- the greens, I know Rory talked about the greens, greens complexes quite a bit. I thought some of the greens were a bit funky. I wouldn't and say I, tricked up like they have no, been in the not, past for US Open. No, not tricked up, just a bit, yeah. a bit funky. The problem is that US Open is now a little bit less mental than it was previously because there's a new man in charge. I think Mike Wan sets up the course that we've seen so far. He's only done a couple, but he sets up the course in a slightly different way to how his predecessor Mike Davis did. Mike Davis, obsessed with par, will make sure players shoot around that at all costs. And if that means making the greens borderline unplayable, if that means having rough for days, then he'll do it. Mike Wan's going a slightly different way. The PGA seems to be trying to go the opposite direction and they're kind of going to meet in the middle that, that, where the PGA and US Open are indistinguishable yeah, from that, one that, another. That, that's it. And, and it's it, sh- it should probably be the major where the scoring is the, the lowest because, well, the others are a wee bit like that. But the, now the scoring's on a par with Augusta. Mm-hmm. You know, and the US Open, I don't think you'll ever see US Opens at 16, 18 under or whatever, but it's just, it's not distinguishing itself from the other majors. Mm-hmm. So if they're trying to build their, their identity, which I I maintain they need to do, and I'm not saying that they're doing this or attempting to, but if they are, and they're trying to build an identity around course setup, 
then they're going down the wrong path. Yeah, I think they've got other yeah. things they could do. Yeah, yeah. I, I, and whatever those things are, you know, we've talked about that yeah. balloon the place. But anyway, let's let's go into. So, in summary, if you were to sum up the the week, that was a good week, you know. But I would probably say, thank the Lord for Brooks Kepka <laughs> and uh, a certain star of the show we'll come to later. Oh yes, indeed, because Brooks wasn't even really the biggest winner, you could argue. But he yeah. is the man who's left with the the Wanamaker Trophy. He spoke at the start of the week, Bryce, about having learned lessons from Augusta. He used the words himself. I'll give him props for this. He said he choked at the Masters last month. Bit of a frank admission, but that is Brooks. He's nothing if not frank and honest. And we saw that on full swing. I don't want to labour this point because, by God, everybody else has. However, it's very important to note that 12 months ago, Brooks Kepka was in a very dark place. He didn't really seem to be a guy who thought he could get back to anywhere near his best, he spoke in full swing of looking at Scotty Scheffler, who was right in the middle of his purple patch, and basically admitting, I can't do I can't that. I can't do that, yeah. Look at him now. He's finished tied second at the Masters, if that's right, and now has won the, the USPGA. So, so impressive and gutsy for me is the big takeaway. That's it. That's the, I think when, when Tiger won the Masters, I think Brooks made a hash of that. When you when you look at the opportunity they had there, you know, Molinari we knew that just fell apart, but so did Brooks. And then you saw him at the Masters earlier this year, and he just sort of... Uh, it's interesting he called it a choke. You know, he's... I'm not sure he it actually was a choke, because he's saying, I know it's up to him, but he was saying, you know, he tried not to lose it rather than he tried to win it. So there's mm -hmm. a strategy there. But the one thing I liked about it is he, he can he can walk the walk, talk the talk, everything he's got. The guy's the, like the ultimate alpha, as we keep saying. <laughs> he came out and said, "I'm I'm not going to. This is going to be different this year, or this week, I should say." And it was. And you know, there are a lot of golfers that talk about what they're going to do and fail to deliver. This guy, this guy delivers. I, I mega mega chops. I'm just so <laughs> impressed. After a fairly, fairly inauspicious start as well. I mean, he yeah. opened with a 72. Yeah. No one was really talking about Brooks as a potential title winner on Thursday night. But then he goes 66, 66, 67. Now, as we've already discussed, that golf course wasn't really set up for those kinds of scores. And yet he dug them out. Yeah. In very, very difficult conditions as well because of the weather and all that kind of stuff. Nine under par, two shots clear of Scotty Scheffler and Victor Hovland in second. It's just need to be able to bring it when it matters. Yeah, and, he, and he, he he does, you know, or well, he did, and I think he's now injury free. He's just a seriously impressive guy. When you look back at what he said in, in uh, full swing, it did it look as though he'd thrown the towel in? Yes, actually, kind of did. Yeah. It he looked, looked like he was done. Looked like that. You know, I saw somebody in Twitter. I can't remember who it was. Oh, it was Eddie Pepper who said in Twitter this morning. He, the guy just didn't, never looked like he was that interested in PGA Tour events. He pretty much said that. Remember a few years ago, he said something quite disparaging. I can't remember the exact quotes, so if you could search that. He said something that was a wee bit, you know, I can't get up for PGA Tour events. Words to that effect. Something yeah. like that. I'm just not really, yeah, they're not for me. I want to play majors. It's true. The guy's won nine times in the PGA Tour and five are majors. Yeah, he's like Angel Cabrera. Can't he win a normal event, but just wins all the big ones? Let's leave the yes, comparison to Angel right there. Sorry about that, Brooks. So that, that is, I like his mentality. He's just a big time player, but he turns up. Mm -hmm. You know, and we're going to get on to Rory, but you, you, 
if you want to win these, you you cannot turn up at these events without your A game and play well. There's the guy we're going to talk about later on, Block. He turned up all four days. He's never done that before. Never played golf like that before. That's what you need to do. Mm-hmm. And, and Brooks does it. You know, when he needs to bring it, he brings it. And he, he's just got that mentality and he, he's game. He's a fantastic driver of the ball. He's got power, everything. He's got great touch. Was that the secret off the tee? Is that what he won it this week? And, uh, everything. You, you can't win these events with something not working, as we'll we'll talk about with Rory, because you have to have everything on song. And he does. You know, they keep on saying that how many times we said, you know, well, if he plays his best golf, no one can beat him. It doesn't really matter like that. I think it would have been very, very interesting if Rory had managed to piece together some parts of his game because he wasn't a million miles away. But he's just, he's fantastic to watch, Brooks Koepka. There's another one, you know, two years ago, should have won the PGA as well. I mean, Mickelson was... Yeah, of course. Mickelson Mickelson was great, but Koepka was close, but didn't quite get it done. No, so he's got five. He should really have seven. It's it's such a good point. You look at his major record and he has four runner-up finishes yeah. in addition to his five wins. He's only the 20th golfer ever to reach five major victories. He's now on a par with how many? Seve won, for example. James Braid. Ah, <laughs> yes. James, eh? Peter Thompson. I mean, but he's moving into that echelon of greatness. You could argue that he is the best golfer of his generation. That's, you know, people talk about that, about DJ. How many majors has DJ got? Two. I mean, you, know, <laughs> you you wrote quite a good piece a few years ago about how DJ was actually, and it got a bit of heat at the time, mm-hmm. but you were right. He's underachieved. D- Flat track bully. Yeah. was the term I D- used. DJ has, DJ has not delivered, I don't care what people say, he has not delivered on the big stage the way he should. For a guy of that talent, You've gone gone through his entire career and has only managed to pick up two. For a guy who's that good, he should have more than that. Brooks is the type of guy. Yeah, I know. Brooks is a Brooks is the type that I think if he can keep keep his head, keep where he is, he he might. Is he going to win another one this year? Don't know because Scheffler still Scheffler and Ram Ram had a horror week. You know, Scheffler still was there. You know, you, you've got to tip your cap to Scheffler how impressive that is. But yeah, Brooks is, God knows what he can get to. I mean, he's only 33. And he's 33 years old. You know, we're going to talk about your, I know you're going to ask me about Liv. I'll get to that, yeah. <laughs> surely, surely, uh, uh, you turn it round, right? We said these guys can't compete in these events because they're not playing that type of golf. Maybe they don't need to. You know what? Maybe they. Is it the fact that he's not played that mental breakdown of golf in the lead up to these events? He just needs to turn up for big time, get your game honed, and because these these tournaments must wreck these guys mentally. It's mm-hmm. hard to think about all that. It's in your head. It is exhausting. He only needs to do it four times. The other guys don't. Yeah, that's they're, so they're, true. they're coming up more than that. Let's look at the guys who are ahead of him in the list of major wins. Obviously, Jack and Tiger out there at 18 and 15 respectively. Walter Hagen, Ben Hogan, Gary Player, Tom Watson, Harry Varden, Bobby Jones, Gene Sarazen, Sam Sneed, Arnold Palmer, Lee Trevino, Nick Faldo, Sir Nick Faldo, and Phil Mickelson. In front of him? In front of him. Yeah, I was going to say, because Seve's, what, five as well? Yeah, so he's alongside... James Braid, J.H. Taylor, Byron Nelson, Peter Thompson, Seve on five. All those names there, all of those guys are stone-cold legends in the game mm-hmm. of golf. That, that they are 
the pinnacle of golf. Even, even the guys like J.H. Taylor, who I don't think like, didn't ever play the Masters, I'm not even sure how many times he even saw America, never mind played in it. He still talked about generations later as one of the greats of the game. Yeah. So Brooks Kepka by then has to be in that conversation mm. in years to come. Yeah. The question is, how many is he going to end up with? And I think that is, honestly, two months ago, I would have said he will not win another major. But what do I know? Yeah. <laughs> he could easily, easily end up double figures. Yeah, I, I would like to see Kepka in this current form at an Open Championship. It'll be interesting to see what mm. uh, what that's going to be like. But I, I just he's he's great to watch. Yes, he's absolutely brilliant to watch at the Open Championship. Let me see because without looking at it, it feels like that's the one where he's performed the worst. And it is he's only got one top five finish at the Open in eight starts. But we'll see. Confidence counts for a lot. What does his win, you've touched on this, but what does his win do for Liv? What does it mean for them? Because not just his win, Bryson Cam Smith also in the top 10 at the weekend, fresh off a lot of humble pie being eaten by both you and I following the Masters where they showed up and we had guys finishing tied for second, Brooks and Phil, Patrick Reed showed up well there. Valid, big, is it not? Of course, absolutely huge. And anyone that says, oh, it's not really, the, of course the great golfers, just be quiet. These guys were ridiculed for going to a tour that doesn't play 72 holes. It plays shotgun starts. There's party nights. There's music. It's a team game. It's not an individual game. You're playing uh, shorts. You, you, you can't really qualify for it. You're playing shorts. It's disgraceful. You can't qualify for it. You're just invited. It is essentially every week is exhibition golf. And I'm not, we're not, I'm not slating it here. And it's not every week, by the way. It's, no, it's not every week. It's hardly half. Well, you know, you know what I mean. And then that doesn't that supposedly, as I've said before, that doesn't create an environment for you to get better, rise up, and and go for, you know, big time events and get yourself ready for majors because you're not playing that type of golf week to week. They have absolutely battered that concept into the ground. Should could have been a could and should have been a a live guy winning the Masters. Uh, it's a live guy that's won the PGA. There's a very high chance that it'll be a live guy that wins the US Open because... It's a live guy that's got the Open. Yeah. Because, Fair enough, he wasn't a live player yeah, at the time, but all but. Because they have mass. these guys have massively changed their golf careers ov literally overnight by just signing with another league that doesn't do what they currently do. And that has pissed everyone. It pissed me off. It's pissed everyone off. But it's massively pissed off Jay Monaghan because... The, they're getting all the glory. See when the next live tournament happens, you just, I do wonder what they will do with that because they've got the bragging rights. Their guy is a major champion. The guy that they signed for a hundred million has proved that that hundred million didn't affect him on golf's biggest stage. That's what they can turn around and say. We said this two weeks ago, Bryson DeChambeau, he's just disappeared, hasn't he? No, he was we, pretty we, good this week. We weren't wrong. He had disappeared. Oh, yeah. He just happened to show up last week and show up really well. Yeah, of course he did. And that is, that's what, this has made everyone actually scratch their heads and say, oh, it doesn't appear to affect them. How's Jay Monaghan this morning, do you think? Devastated. Absolutely devastated because he needs that legacy, that top level competition, that PGA Tour this whole heritage story 
leading into the big events. He needs that, and that is gone. Don't need it. You can go to party nights on a Tuesday, play 54 holes, be at a golf course at a tournament for like five hours and leave and still try and win a US Open and get it done or a PGA, get it done, compete at the Masters, get it done. These guys have, they're laughing and I honestly think they all go home laughing at us all. Flip side, two events isn't a huge body of evidence. Is it just a fluke? (sighs) No, I wouldn't say so. No. Because Cam Smith's turned his game. You know, Cam Smith, you know, he got a top 10 this week. He looks as though he's turned it around. He was having a bit of a, you know, a bit of a slump. Mm-hmm. And you think, is that is that live? Bry- Bryson DeChambeau's scoring last year was brutal. But then he was going through some big physical changes. Yep. Brooks Kepka wasn't especially tremendous last year, but now appears to be fit and healthy. Mickelson looked to have fallen off the face of the planet. Guy nearly won the Masters. We now can't dis. I'm saying we, we now cannot dismiss Liv as this jokey side panel in golf that we all just giggle at. That's in the background. You can't do that. They're they're here and they're probably here to stay. So for a it, while, is it still exhibition golf? Is it still? Well, of course it is because they're invited and you can't qualify. You know, Michael Block can't play Liv. Not yet. Not yet. <laughs> okay. <laughs> do you have Greg Norman's get any sense? I'll be picking up the phone. But he can't, you know, unless you're asked to play, you can't you can't go and join that league. Whereas you look at what Min Woo Lee this week, Min Woo Lee earned special exempt status or temporary, special temporary status on the PGA Tour. He played, this is the thing that's great about golf. Min Woo Lee won the Scottish Open last year. Great guy. Two, some, two years ago. Two years ago, sorry. Played some great stuff and has steadily, steadily got better and better. Nearly won the players. And because of what he's done, he this week he played his way into a tour. Jay Monaghan right now is twitching. He's probably still asleep at this point, but in his sleep he's twitching going, meritocracy, meritocracy. Yeah. Now, yes, it is, but, and it is very good. I'm delighted from Min Lee. We're kind of skipping around here. You, you, you do this every week. You go, you just, I'm really you, sorry. you obliterate my notes because it's a sorry. lovely float it and then you just go, so yeah, let's go let's go to Minwoo and Ryan Fox, both have earned special temporary membership of the PGA Tour off the back, but not exclusive to the way they performed last week. Yes, that's great for them. It's good for the PGA Tour. It's bad for the DP World Tour. That's two more big names who are going to yeah, gravitate but, oh, oh, towards oh, oh, a different thing altogether. Hold on, I'm I'm not changing I'm not I'm not saying that's bad for the tour because this would have happened before. The reason it's bad for DP world is because they've lost all their star names. So if that if Liv hadn't happened and Minwoolie and Ryan Fox did still get their special temporary status, whatever, that that's all right. That's happened before. It's just the fact that DP World has lost six, seven, eight big star names. So these when that happens now, it's more noticeable. That hurts. I would argue the DP World Tour is more responsible for losing those names than anything else. It chose to find them, it chose to sanction them, and you can yeah. argue that's yep. absolutely the right decision I, for them to make. There has to be consequences for breaking rules. I get it, but they also forced the hand of the likes of Lee Westwood, Sergio Garcia, Ian Poulter, who aren't the future of the DP World Tour, by the no, way. I, the future's I, guys like Lee. Yeah, Lee. listen, we're going over that again. And that, that's a, well, that's, no, it's, it's, it's relevant though. Because, I know, I mean, but it's a hindsight conversation. Yes and no. I think it's relevant because we're talking about Minwoo Lee and Ryan Fox moving away and basically doing what the PGA Tour has always done, 
but we have to acknowledge that the DP World Tour has made mistakes here as well. And the, the way yeah. these two so, departures, two sets of departures have been handled is in one case, very much in the DP World Tour, they've shot themselves in the foot. In so that, if you're Keith, you're Keith Pelly, you're Keith Pelly 18 months ago, what, do you change what you, what you, the decisions you made? Do you decide to just let what live, do you mean? live or do you, and let your players go and play live whenever they want and then join your tour? If, if hindsight's a beautiful thing, right? This is my point. They're only playing 14 times a year. So you're losing Lee Westwood, Ian Poulter, Sergio Garcia, Henrik Stenson, um, Bernd Wiesberger, you know, a few others, big time players. Patrick Reed, you would have to say as well. Yep. You're losing them for 14 events. Why not accept that? And that, We're saying this with the benefit of hindsight, of by so. the way. But also, Keith Bailey's had 18 months to think about it because yeah. the arbitration's been going on. Yeah, exactly. Why not schedule your big events and say to them, going to play in four of our events? Because you need to do that anyway. So all you need to do is play in four of our events. If you play in four of our big events, you can go and do live. Because you think about it, Rory didn't play a huge amount of events. You know, uh, Morikawa was a member of the tour, didn't play a huge amount of events. But they can play majors, World Golf Championships, Race to Dubai, Abu Dhabi, Emirates, everything. Is that a bold move? Would you have said, yeah, if that happens, yeah, go and do it. But it meant that they were sanctioning the startup that was a threat. But if you look at it now, it's now a disaster because they've banned them all. They've got no players. Sponsors don't like it. And their tour has been decimated. Yeah, absolutely. So hindsight's an amazing thing. But it... This is what I keep saying. This is why guys like Keith Pelly get all that money. They're meant to make these decisions. And I look at it and I think, and I think this is, they've got an opportunity now because we're going to come to it because I'm going to jump to what you want to talk. I'm sure there's notes somewhere about Ryder Cup. Oh they're my God. You, you just, you may as well wrap up the notes at this I point. know, I'm sorry. But they're going to, ha there's a decision now to be made because this is about the future of the Ryder Cup. It's absolutely, like I text one of my pals at the weekend and he says, the Ryder Cup's not about tours. It's about countries and continents, and that's what it should be. And I know the background is it's not really about that. But they've got a decision to make about that. And I think you look back at the early days of live, and this has shafted the DP World Tour, and every decision they make now is critiqued, everything, and they look as though they're going backwards. So when you look at Keith Pelley and Jay Monaghan sitting back watching Brooks Kepka win that, and the performance of the live players, they are, make no mistake, they are crushed. And you could argue they should be. We're going to come back to the Ryder Cup and get this back on track, Bryce. That's your job as host. Hmm. Yeah, God almighty, you challenge me. <laughs> Michael Block. Let's go to something a little bit happier, cheerier, sunnier. What a performance from Michael Block, 46 years old. Quite simply the star of the show last week wasn't he without a doubt it's the best performance of a pga member you would have to call him in my lifetime since 1986 yeah. is the highest finish so that's my lifetime i think i was only nine years old so i don't i don't remember any other pga member doing anything quite like that you know there's been conversations in the past we have looked at leaderboards and seen 17 pga members at the bottom of the leaderboard shooting terrible scores but this is their championship. They, these are the best of the best. And Still I still argue twenty is too high. Yeah, but you know, one one guy, one story. That's the exception. I know. You know what I mean, but 
it is a, regardless of what anyone says, it is a PG event. It is theirs. I've played with a guy who I think he finished top. I think he finished top ranked PGA a PGA years ago, many many years ago, and he was an unbelievable golfer. Unbelievable. He was better than some of the tour players I've played played with, and I don't want to name names, but clearly a better player. The guy loved to drink. <laughs> And uh, he smelt like it, but <laughs> what a player. So you can't underestimate just how good these guys are. But but when we talk about body of evidence, and there's a lot to suggest yeah. that these guys also can't compete on the biggest stage. You're right, it's their event. It's also a major. Can uh-huh. it be both? Yeah, and that, that's the physic, the, the physical nature of it. We talked about a minute ago, but the mental side of it. You looked at him on the Sunday night. He was drained. He had nothing left to give. If, it's, if there'd been a playoff, and it was oh. a five-hole playoff, he, he would have crawled up the fifth hole. <laughs> so it, 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 that he lives a completely. It's quite nice that the 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 round he had with Rory, the banter he had, because his life is completely different to Rory's. That guy's giving lessons. He's organising a retail operation. He talks about shop fronts. That's a it, it, the organisation that he's got with coaching classes and so on. That's a. That's a hard job. As every PGA professional professional who listens to this will will attest, it's it's not easy. So you cannot underestimate what he did last week. That is mind blowing. He won just short of three hundred thousand dollars as well, which I think somebody worked this out. It's approximately fifteen hundred lessons at his yeah. hourly rate. I thought the guy was from the from the very start. Now I won't lie, social media has a way of losing perspective a little bit. And when he played well on the first day and shot a 70, you would have thought that he had been the first man to land on Mars and colonise it the way that some people were going on. There was just a little bit too much excitement, but then it didn't let up. You know, he then plays in the the second round, a second consecutive 70, plays in the third round, a third consecutive 70, finds out that he's playing with Rory. You see the emotion all over him when he realises, oh my God, I'm, I'm playing with Rory McIlroy. He was completely and utterly genuine. And I think that's in a sport where you maybe don't get to see that much because obviously a lot of golfers are media trained and I think they lose touch with reality a little bit. Some of them, to see a guy play at that level and play that well, be so humble and normal, it was just really refreshing. You couldn't not root for him. He said something at the weekend, I think it was on Saturday night, life goes by fast. Before you know it, you're 60 years old and retired and look back at the videos and remember... That was the best week of my life. And more than likely, this is going to be the best week of my life. I mean, holy shit, that's just brilliant. The, the guy, the Perspective. Guy, the guy was media gold. Yeah. You need to say it. It's for, for content. Guy, for guys in the media, he's just a content king. Just everything he said, his mannerisms, the timing of things, you know, the... the the bit at the end, can you get a picture of me with Rory? Oh. And, you know, I know there's cameras on him. He's probably aware of what's going on, but... He played even, the cameras well, yeah, to be did, fair. Of course he does, what I was going to say. That, that he, he was just great. And he seemed like a good dude. Mm-hmm. I, I liked that. I liked, I think it said it all about his golf club. They were all going nuts, mm-hmm. celebrating. That says how popular he is at home. Spot on. And good I, point. I, I thought he was uh, just great. You know, I keep saying it in my life. Good things happen to good people. Yeah. I'm glad it happened to him. Hole in one in the company of Rory. 
Scary. <laughs> Slam dunk as well. Didn't even touch the grass. Huh, I mean, when that went in, you think, how is this happening? Unreal. How is this happening? And to hold the putt in the 18th as well. Just, yeah, one up and down. He's, he's, um, his game's good. You know, he had an up and down that you, you said earlier before we came on air that, that, that Rory, you know, when Rory said that we, you know, that was a good shot. Yeah, 13, I think it yeah. was. Uh, that, you know, that was a great shot. Yeah. You know, he's, he'd, he's got great touch. It's always these things, you look at somebody like that and you think, why is he doing it now? You know, what? What? how's that happening? Where's he been? But the, but he he pretty much said it himself. I've never been able to put all what I've got together for four rounds. He said, I've done it for three rounds, but I've not done it for four rounds. That, right there, that is top level golf. You don't get anywhere unless you do it for four rounds. That is so true. That's it. He's back in already to next year. This is the other thing that I really liked about his post-round interview. When it was pointed out to him, as I think he already knew by that point, but you finish tied 15th, that earns you a place in next year's PGA Championship at Valhalla. The first thing he said was, yeah, and the best thing about that is that because I've already yeah. qualified, that's a space for another PGA pro. Love it. Oh, that's just so good. Class. Humility. There's a, a lot to be said for having a, an everyman that you can root for. Somebody said if TaylorMade don't do an advert, like a forgiveness one with him and Rory, they've missed a massive trick. His <laughs> stock is immensely high. Not only that, his world ranking has improved. He's gone from, let's face it, nowhere, 3,500 dead last, whatever it is where the rankings are, to 577th. It is the single biggest jump in OWGR history. Absolutely extraordinary. I'm, I'm smiling from ear to ear talking about him because... He was just so much fun and all the aggro and angst and angry DMs and bots that we've had filling our days for the last 12 months. The golf gods rewarded us with this guy over yeah. the weekend. It was great to see. Yeah. He's also in the field for this week's event. He got an invite to Colonial. They wasted no time whatsoever. Yeah. Good on I, them. I'll speak for everyone that's in the home of golf and I think let's just get him an invite to the Scottish Open. Absolutely spot on. Get that guy over we, here. By the way, we know that tournament organisers for the Scottish yeah. Open listen. Just make it happen. Make it happen. Well said. Uh, I've just looked at my notes. I know. Mm, okay. You talk about putting it together for four rounds. Michael Block can, it seems, at his playing partner. Who was tremendous with him, by the way. That was a oh, yeah. genuine reaction at the end. The hug was awesome. But his playing partner, Rory McElroy, is struggling to do that right now. It's becoming a bit of a it was a bit of a typical Rory week in the majors, yeah. unfortunately, wasn't it? Yeah, but I would say for Rory, you you gotta say that was a good week for Rory, considering where he'd been. You know, he, Rory people forget this. Rory's played some cracking stuff lately. Mm -hmm. He's also been quite poor. I don't think he was that bad this weekend. I will judge Rory at the US Open. I'm not going to put too much on his shoulders this week because he didn't have a lot of form coming in. He, you know, he played quite poorly. And in some of the big events, he's just not really done it. Tied seventh. I would say he hung in there in the opening round or so. He was wild off the tee. I don't know what was going on. I think he hit something like three out of 14 the, fairways the, in round one. This is the issue. He actually, for some, some of the stuff he played, he actually played, for some of the stuff on Friday night, I thought he was okay. I'm so other people are saying, no, oh, he hit it poorly. I don't think so. I think they just didn't score. Mm -hmm. Rory's not putting well. His putting stats are poor. But Rory, this is at the start of the year, Rory's driving was phenomenal. Mm -hmm. His driving was poor this weekend. I don't really know how he's getting to this point. Uh, that's... Rory's game seems to dip, and when it dips, it dips quite significantly, and it's hard to recover. 
he just doesn't bring it to the big tournaments and in the one package you got to do that mm-hmm. and he just doesn't he didn't putt well but do you what if Rory putts well he's in a good he's actually in a good place he's you know from the fairway he was pretty good this weekend mm-hmm. but his putting's poor I know his driving isn't great but their stats can prove you can drive it reasonably poorly in the big events and get away with it that's not the big issue it's obviously helpful if you find the middle of the fairway but he's he's either at, he, where it counts is where you're going to pick up shots is on the greens he misses big putts he doesn't hole enough from 15 feet you know he, he just doesn't I th- that that's killing him it's not the driving that's killing him that doesn't help but it's, he's on the on the greens he just doesn't pick up shots he's been top five in five of his last six majors, six of his last eight, which is hands down the best that he's played without winning a major. But you, it, and, it's and also be, now, I think I'm right in saying that it's now 40 majors yeah. without a win. That is a but big, you, but, big drought for but, a guy of that ability. But you look, see Minwoo League, it's top five. You're saying, oh, that's a great week. But, 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 but Rory, it's just... He's, the thing Apples is, those, those stats, though, are they not? Yeah, but those stats are good. I wouldn't even say he's played particularly well. And that that's the issue. Rory isn't bringing his best stuff to these tournaments. He just isn't. And that's why he's not winning. And to be honest, he's not really a threat It's either. also why you're comparing him to Minwoo Lee. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's not a threat in these events, but he's hanging around. What I find strange about that week, that, that looked like a Rory McIlroy golf course. Yeah. Yeah, big it, time. It looked like off the tee, must have thought, oh, that that looks to me... Did I say fucking... Rory McIlroy conditions with the rain they had? Yeah, well. everything. And it, it just doesn't. He doesn't capitalise on anything like that. Now, he might not look at that and think it's a Rory McIlroy golf course, but I, I do. And I, I, I still think Rory's got... When Rory's great, he's a massive threat. And when he plays at his best, there is no doubt you need to be really good to beat him. You have to be really good. He's a top quality player. Because the stats show it, he's not playing particularly well and he's racking up top 10s and top 5s and he's still won a few times this year or a couple of times. It's quite simple, he just needs to bring it to the to table when it matters and so at he's the moment not, he's not. So you're saying he's not a million miles off, we of shouldn't be not. panicked and it's a matter of a few smarg- marginal games? Is I that think that? marginal gains, yeah. If, any, if anyone says Rory's finished and he's rubbish and so these people don't don't know the game. They don't know how good Rory McIlroy is. We kind of said that about Bryson. Quick note on him. It would be remiss of us to ignore what we said last week about Bryson having disappeared from golf altogether. As I said earlier, we were right. He had disappeared. We weren't saying that he wasn't ever going to contend again. But honestly, the odds were against it a week ago. Then he shows up and tied fourth from nowhere. Very quickly on Bryson. What did you think of him? Insane. Quite mental. I I thought that was a an unbelievable position for him to get to considering everything he's done you know he's talking about he looks like a different player you know the physical changes he's gone through mm-hmm. are pretty huge to me that affects your game there's no doubt if you're making such big physical changes that does affect how you swing the club and how you feel about the golf ball I'll judge Bryson when he turns up at the US Open throttle back from that in a second but I want to get your thoughts on Victor Hovland I mean Scotty Scheffler obviously hugely impressive but I feel like we kind of come to expect that now from Scotty Scheffler tied second back to world number one Victor Hovland though another major another one that he's contended in tied second it's getting closer but is he getting closer I mean does he what's what's he lacking to 
to get across the line. Victor Hovland is just there's something about Victor Hovland that kind of pisses me off a wee bit. How do you mean? Because there are 170 golf courses in Norway. There are 126,000 members of golf courses in Norway. There are 565 golf courses in Scotland. And there are, we don't know the numbers, but I think there's a ballpark figure of around 200,000. So they're smashing us when it comes to per capita. And I just don't, how the hell have they got a guy that's as good as Victor Hovland, where they come from? Well, I think it's got a lot to do with the fact that he left. He's, yeah. he's successful in spite of being Norwegian, but not because of it. But that's it. He, he is he is uh, such a talent. Yeah. And I think that will, I think, to be honest, I thought he got a little bit greedy and just in the bunker. Brilliant. I mean, I genuinely... On 16 yeah, years. Right, if he okay. hadn't done that, we were staring a playoff. I thought he was on a roll. I think we could have been getting a playoff here because Brooks just yeah. strolled. He didn't really need to do anything. Strolled the last two. But I think he got a little bit greedy. Because I think he was he hit nine iron out that bunker, didn't he? And I, I just wonder whether he was trying to go at flags, not thinking. Considering what had happened to was it Step Stracker that yeah, yeah. That did the same thing had happened to that that was obviously higher than he thought, but he didn't get anywhere near it. You know, he didn't clear it. It looked like a thin. I actually watched it a couple of times back, and I wasn't sure whether it was a thin. But that was a that's a huge error at the wrong time. But look, he's just a young boy. You know, he keeps putting himself in there and it's a bit unfair they kept on saying he's never won in America. Well, technically he has, just not a professional event. But Yeah, at, you, you say young boy, he's 25. He's going to be 26 in September. I know, I mean, but to me that's, that's oh, I wish I was 25. Yeah, I guess the point I'm making is there are golfers who are younger than him. Scotty Scheffler's the same age. No, he's not. Scotty Scheffler's 47. <laughs> Scotty Scheffler is the same age as Vicar. I Vickler. think I'm right no that. Scotty Scheffler is, he's just... He's sorry, he's 26, yeah. 26 years old. So they are effectively split hairs all you want and go, well, actually, there's only three days. That is amazing. They're isn't the it? same age. So Scary. I think that I think what you have with Victor Hovland, and this is a something that I think a lot of people could learn from. You're right, he's got an awful lot of talent. I think he's got a lot of and people reject the idea of natural talent. I think he had natural talent. He's grafted, he's worked hard, won the Norwegian Amateur Championship, and then he made a life-altering decision. He went to the States. He took everything that he had, all of his potential, and recognised that the place that he was going to take that to the next level or have the best chance was to go to America. He went to Oklahoma State, and next thing you know, he's a US amateur champion. He's rode momentum, is, is the point. I think a lot of young guys, quite often in the UK, for that matter, don't have that uh, desire. Yeah, I think... Let's, let's just spit it out. I, I'm, not sure, but I'm not sure it's desire. I think they can get awfully Ambition. comfortable. Yeah. Awfully comfortable in their own environment. I don't think that's necessarily desire or ambition. They just think, well, I'm I'm going to do it my way. It's like, well, actually, there is a blueprint for doing it. Yeah, it's yeah. an established one. So why would you not just I do don't, it? It might not suit you to yeah, go to Oklahoma I'd, State I'd, University. I'd, you might prefer to stay in Scotland or England with your mum and dad and stay at home, all your pals. But there hasn't been a single play, there hasn't been a single European player that has dominated on the PG Tour or played consistently well on the PG Tour living over here. Really doesn't happen. You have to kind of be there and base yourself there, and he does. I just think he's not tasted a big success yet that gets him used to the yeah. feelings of that. 
I mean, that, that whole line about he's not won in America. He's won three times in the PGA Tour. Yeah. Okay, so, right, he's not won on the United States yes. of America with his feet in the ground there. Who cares? Yeah. Lots of players haven't got but one the, PGA but, but Tour title, never but, mind three. But there's maybe something in the back of his mind that says that. Uh, that's the thing. There's maybe just something sitting there. But he's a, he's a, he's a huge talent. He's great mm. fun to watch. He just made a very... So I wouldn't even say it was a silly, a critical mistake mm. at the wrong time. And he paid the price for it. And you could see when it happened, he was, I mean, this the 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 sight of him in the 18th green was absolutely he was gutted. Gutted. Yep. He was dejected. He was absolutely floored. He knows that was an opportunity that's hard to get back. But he's consistently done quite well in the majors. You know, he's involved himself in some big tournaments. He just hasn't managed to to get himself into position, but then he did, and then he made a big, big mistake. Mm -hmm. Last three majors, tied fourth at St Andrews, tied seventh at Augusta, and now tied second. There's a word beginning with T that I won't use because it's awful and it's a cliche, but he is, frankly. Trending. Oh, you had to go and say it, didn't you? Right, that is it for part one of this week's Bunkered podcast. In association with Callaway, we've got a very special interview coming up shortly after the break, so please do not go anywhere. All golfers can agree, hitting it far feels great. But does it feel great? A first in forging has created irons that have never felt better. Paradigm was precisely constructed with the first ever AI-designed forged 455 face cup and an all-new speed frame to enhance speed and feel, earning 15 out of 15 stars from the Golf Digest hot list. This is the new Paradigm in performance from Callaway. Welcome back, part two of this week's Bunkered podcast in association with Callaway Golf. Michael and Bryce here. We mentioned this last week, but it's now on sale. The latest edition of the magazine issue 202 on newsstands and hitting doormats of subscribers. If you want to be one of those, go to bunkered.co.uk forward slash suboffer and take advantage of our latest great deal. You will not regret it. Before we move on, Excuse us if we become a little bit self-indulgent here because we have a little bit of kind of success to talk about. One of our team, our gear editor, James Tate, well, he's on his way back just now, but he was in Germany over the weekend competing in the European Long Drive Games. James, for those who don't know, is an absolute monster of a hitter. He has been competing in long drive competitions for a long time now. He's had a few injury issues. He's had a bit of illness, the usual thing, beware the injured golfer. He goes out to Germany at the weekend and reaches the semis of that competition. I actually think he finished third, defeated the world long drive champ, Martin Borgmeier, en route to the last four. We're all delighted for James, very impressive. And frankly, we're relieved because he told us this in his job interview a year ago and we just kind of believed him, Bryce, and we thought, well, well <laughs> all right, okay, good. Yeah, so said, at least he's backed it up. Yeah, he said I was... Uh yeah, I'm a long driver. I'm like, yeah, well, I'm I. Uh -huh. so am I. But he defeated Martin Borg. He beat Martin Borg. It was Borgmeier. And he set, he not set a world record, like fastest ball speed, ball speed ever yeah, earlier this a few year. months ago. Yep. Um, absolutely frightening. Mm -hmm. So incredible for James. I can't wait. It's a pity we couldn't get him on the pod because he's traveling. Uh, we just never got around to it. But I think we need to need to explore uh, yes. how that went <laughs> because it's, I do look at long drive competitions and uh, they got a good crowd for the yeah. for the, the final 
absolutely amazing. I hope he's not going to ask for a pay rise because he's not getting one. And that's got nothing to do with work. Yeah, to true. be clear, exactly. Actually, so. you should be uh, giving his time back. Actually, yeah, exactly. Yeah, but no, no, well done, James. Absolutely superb, and hopefully more to come. And I should say, uh huh, a little tip of the cap to our sponsor. He used a very rare Callaway Paradigm long driver. Yes, which you can. I, I do believe you cannot buy. There's only a limited number of the heads yeah, that were made, I think. Uh, unless you're some sort of uh, Ponzi long driver, you can get one. But Ponzi he, long he driver, one, whatever. <laughs> he got one. It, the, the setup on this thing's amazing. It's, I'll tell you about that. It's different to a current long driver, I'll tell a you, current paradigm I'll, driver. I'll tell you about his setup. Two and a half degree loft instead of the eight degrees he uses on his triple diamond that he's got in the bag usually. His <laughs> shaft, 55 grams. That's 15 grams lighter than the one that's in his normal one. And of course, it's 48 inches long, which is about two and a half inches longer than the driver he currently yeah. uses. It is not a driver for everyday use, ladies no. and gents. But if you search for that, you can find it on our website. Just Google it. And I should add, cool. just because you use that doesn't mean you're going to hit it the distance that James no. does. It requires an awful lot more, even just yeah. to be able to swing it. Yeah, so yeah. very cool. impressive. So well done to him. Good on him. Right, so now very special interview. You know us, we like to bring you all the big names and all that sort of stuff and create lots of exciting content. And this is no different. I went down to Dundonald Links in Ayrshire. You need to go and check it out because that place has gone through quite a transformation in the last few years. In addition to clubhouse improvements, they've got a brand new clubhouse for a start. In addition to that, the course has been improved. They've got incredible accommodation. It's just genuinely a brilliant place. It's quite different looking to how it looked when it hosted the Scottish Open a few years back. Yeah, I, I remember. I, and I have not been to see Dundonald since it changes, and I'll be interested because it undoubtedly had the finest porta cabin in Scotland. <laughs> yes. Well, it's got something a lot better now, let yeah, me assure amazing. you. So and I met up with the man who designed the course in the very first instance, way back in the early part of this century, Kyle Phillips. I spoke to Kyle. You know what? I, I decided when I went down there, Bryce, I wasn't going to do the usual. Like, tell me about your career. I thought, you know what people want to know from a course designer? How to design a golf course. Here's our chat. Kyle, welcome to the Bunkered Podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you for joining us. Now, we're sitting, I should say, right now in the... I'll, I'll, it's still new, the Dundonald Links Clubhouse down in Ayrshire. It's still new. It's maybe a year or two old, but, you know, in golf clubhouse terms, certainly in Scotland, it's definitely new. You're here on a, a little site visit, checking out your baby out there that you designed all those years ago. We've just gone very quickly around it in the buggy. What did you see? What did you like? How's it looking? Well, first of all, it's looking great for this time of year. As you know, it's still early on in the in the play season. Um, we made some just little mods uh, around the practice facility over the last couple of years and seeing how that's all knitting in and a few of the tees now that the course has been open for a couple of decades and, and particularly now that it's a pay and play type of high-end pay and play uh, facility, which you know we're getting more play, more exposure, which is great. Um, a course that I've always enjoyed being on and playing and um, really love how it's turned out and, and just to see the new amenities that they put around the place today was really fantastic to see them all up and operating. The new lodges are fantastic, aren't they? Absolutely. Those button greens out the front. I mean, yeah. man, that's, that's a lot of fun. Yeah, really it is. I mean, the thing that 
I've always thought about this location is it's just so central to golf on the West Coast. And, and now with the lodging here, a great place to stay and kind of be base camp really for, you know, those who are going to play multiple courses. And uh, certainly going to tell all my mates about it. And, uh, and I think one thing when we were building the, the greens, um, I really didn't appreciate how really dynamic that was going to be as a complex of the two bedrooms, the uh, up to what, six bedrooms mm, and, yeah. and, and so forth, uh, units around it to where, you know, you can just imagine going out with your mates and hitting some putts and doing some kind of fun little things, you know, in the evening and then just you know, maybe joining up with some other people out there and you're all staying there. So whether you came as just maybe a small group or a larger group, the opportunity to really just be amongst, you know, golfing friends and, um, you know, make some new relationships with people. And just the way they've kind of organized the whole little area over there, mm -hmm. those three kind of zones, I think that's really going to be be fun for people to stay there. Absolutely. I should add before we go any further, when we're out there, Kyle and I discovered that we support different teams in the NFL. I'm a Raiders fan. You're a <coughs> Chiefs. Excuse me, something got stuck in my throat there, <laughs> even just saying the name of them. So we'll park that for now. We'll maybe come back to it another time down the line because let's face it, you guys have enjoyed some success. We haven't. But that all stems from you being over in the States. You, you live in the Northern California, you were mm -hmm. telling us. Coming over to Scotland, bit of a culture shock, I'm sure. No, I mean, uh, when I began my uh, career, I was with an office in Palo Alto. That's what took me from that Midwest area where mm -hmm. I was a, a Kansas City Chiefs fan growing up. And uh, so, yeah, I've spent my, my entire working career in California as a base camp and then started my own firm uh, 25 years ago. And uh, prior to that, I came over and started working in the continent of Europe and had a chance to do some work in the London area for uh, that firm. And then, of course, started my own business and having a chance to do Kings Barnes and Dundonald up here in this part of the world was great. But, you know, probably Europe has really been the centerpiece of, of my working career and and um, really just where I really feel at home. I mean, we're playing uh, the Dutch Open this week at our course down at Bernardus Golf Club. Um, and, um, you know, very fun to be around the guys from the DP Tour and um, guys that I've known from the European Tour over the years. And it's just like old home week, really, yeah. to come come over here. So. Because you're very hands-on, aren't you? Because, I mean, there are some course designers who will put their names <laughs> to the golf course. They will, you know, hand over the plans. And that might be the last time that they ever <laughs> see it as yeah. on a sheet of paper. Yeah. But you like to go back and visit your courses, don't you? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, yeah, from, from beginning to end, it's, it's, I love every aspect of, of what we do. You know, the, the ability to see the, the raw land and whatever attributes it has or whatever piece it's, it's missing. And then that whole kind of creative and transformative process that you know starts with sketches and ends up in CAD drawings and to contractors to having our uh, shapers out here and just to really be engaged in a full kind of design build and then just the follow-up I mean you see how things are maturing and in the design business you are you know lucky to have the ability to take it all the way through not just you said in concept and then just walk away from it but mm -hmm. to see it all the way to opening day but even then you're just giving birth right mm -hmm. and so to have good owners 
that um, you know really raise the child, if you will, uh, in in a good way, and uh, just see how it matures, and whether you have you know, uh, trees or gorse like we have out here or the turf, you know, there is a maturing process and sometimes you make little adjustments or you need to trim something back or whatever. And um, so it's very fun to, to just see the, the life really uh, birth and life of your, your baby. I'll bet. Because I think I'm probably quite like most people who play golf that when I get on a plane or maybe I'm on a train and I'm looking out the windows and I see a bit of land, I immediately start sculpting it in my head. But that's as far as it ever goes. <laughs> yeah, Unfortunately, yeah. Yeah. you get the, the great privilege and pleasure of actually making those dreams happen. So talk me through the process if you can. I, I mean, I'm, I'm sure it changes from project to project, but mm -hmm. where do you start? Where do you start building a golf course? Well, what... Uh, Sometimes it starts, it can start two different ways. Sometimes it's just simply a phone call with somebody who already owns a piece of land. Um, and they may or may not have permitting of some, some sort. But um, they have some kind of idea that they'd like golf to be um, a, either a big or maybe uh, the entire story uh, around some project they're going to do. And so we've done some residential. Um, we probably do more uh, standalone golf or golf uh, with resort hotel type of things like the Grove down in London being an example of that in this country. But, um, you know, we've been, we've been fortunate to, um, you know, get, get people who really want to do something well. And so they would usually kind of, we meet each other, see the land together, see if we think we can both, they, you know, whether they can work with me, put up with me and, you know, whether I could put up with them. But, uh, you know, and, and is a really kind of a, a synergy there between us in terms of creating something special. And uh, so having an owner who's really engaged and involved, and particularly if they have a, a golf background, that can be um, really, really important and make the whole process more enjoyable. And then uh, getting topo maps and plans and, and so forth, knowing, um, you know, how the golf course might be able to be conceptually laid on the plan. And so... Um, then just walk that through a number of concepts. Uh, sometimes certain things are fixed on certain sites where we have a lot of water courses or a lot of st uh, strict topography that really limit where golf can go and other places like the course in Abu Dhabi, which was just a you know dead flat land along the coast where we actually created the coastline, dredged it out to, to define it. Um, you know, you can be much more imaginative and, and creative. So sometimes it's more of inventing landforms to play the game on, and sometimes it's just using the natural uh, contours themselves. And so the sites we get are so, so diverse, and uh, I love every, every one. It's nice when you have a perfect site and you can just lay the golf course right on those contours as well as some that are, are actually... Uh, very, very strong contours that need the volume turned down. And then cases like uh, the Abu Dhabi example of having to just create every aspect uh, of the golf course from the ground up. And um, then eventually all those little plans and concepts turn into a set of CAD drawings. We put together the bid documents for the contractors to, to, to uh, uh, all give a price on. And then um, that selection is made. And um, then once we start construction, we have our the artistic part, kind of the artwork part of it, uh, of the shaping. We have our team out there that works, you know, with those contractors and uh, who are doing really more of the drainage and irrigation and earth moving, the technical aspects, and we do more of the artistic aspects. But um, there's there's a lot of uh, 
a lot of fun to design in the countries we design in as well. And uh, so beyond just, the, let's say, the, the normal process of like you would with your own, own home, uh, that design process onto construction, just designing within the context of how the game is played in all these different countries is it really creates uh, a lot of interest for, for, uh, for me personally because we're all playing under the same set of rules, but mm. how you arrive and how we make um, a design that really provides a great experience for people from that arrival through that entire day of golf um, today is probably more important than maybe it was 20, 30 years ago where it was really uh, more just about playing the game. Now it's really you're creating really a whole experience in that interaction between service and the clubhouse, accommodation, all those kind of things for people. You're building really a important. community effectively, aren't you? You really are. Yeah. You really are. Yeah. When you've got the, the maps and like the topography, when you start to map out the golf course, do you do it 1 to 18 or are you looking for a particular part in the land that stands out and you might build the rest around it? You know, it really is a very back and forth type of thing. You're, you're trying to kind of see where holes, uh, again, depending on how restrictive the ground is. Sometimes I'm really, I am outlining areas that are really good, good pieces of ground for golf, areas that might be connection points between, let's say, one good area and another good area where you have to go over or through, um, s whether it's a ravine or, a, or a, some type of hill or valley, you know. And um, so you try to identify those maybe on that kind of macro level. And so sometimes you really have the freedom that you could put the clubhouse anywhere, you could put the holes anywhere. And uh, so you might just really stand back and say, okay, from the arrival point onto the site, what would be the best flow? What would be the best kind of uh, ways to, to maneuver your way through to where the, the, the course would be? So you have a lot, a lot of fluidity. On, on certain sites and other ones, yes, it's, it's what you said, you're really identifying the holes. As far as what's one to 18, where that really starts to come in is if we're sometimes given a zoning condition where the clubhouse could only go in, in a limited spot or mm -hmm. maybe a couple of limited spots. And then that really becomes, when, once you kind of hone in on where the clubhouse needs to sit, then that's where you really start thinking about the um, one one to eighteen thing. But you're you're obviously looking for a circuit. You're looking for opportunity to create a rhythm. So as you go through these various concepts, you are asking yourself, okay, what's going to give us the best rhythm as we play the course? Because sometimes you find a hole, you say, wow, that's a wonderful hole, but it compromises three or four other holes to play one hole. Mm. And so you might make a tough choice to say, look, we're going to get three or four great holes, or we're going to one hole that you know maybe sticks out, leaps out at us, but compromises the other one, so. That must be hard to give up on something that once you visualize it, you think that is going to be world-class and then is. you have to throw it away. It is, and it's sometimes I think, I've worked with other designers uh, uh, in, in the past when we were, you know, when I was with a large firm, and you know, I find that some, for some folks, it's very hard for them once they hone in on a concept they really love to be able to, you know, tear that page off, so to speak, mm -hmm. set a new set of parameters in their mind and then re-engage and kind of re rethink that. And I think the more times you can kind of be your own worst critic in your in your concepts and be able to kind of rip the page off, set that one aside and, and start fresh and try to create something new, you lay all those out in front of you and then you can start to say, what do I like about that, you know, and have your own critique mm. process and um you know in a collaborative spirit in our office you know we're we're all pretty critical of each other you know when we're we're working together on projects so so it almost sounds like you're trying to like complete a jigsaw but there's more than one way to complete it 
that, that's what you hope for, yeah. right? That you have you have a lot of alternatives, and you do find spots. Sometimes there's a great little corner on the site that really kind of emerges as as a route is really better clockwise through that or counterclockwise mm-hmm. through that area, and so you kind of start to say, okay, we should try to hang into that area and fix that area if we can and work everything back into that area and so it's sometimes it just kind of happens in zones through the site and and you know eventually comes together so <laughs> i wish i could tell you it was a really a to b to c process but it really does vary on the sites and uh you know, I love I love the challenge of, of, of each site because some sites are very soft soil, like the sand here, and some sites, you know, the owner's chosen has a lot of granite in it, and so you have to be very, very, you know, realistic about the next stages that are coming forward and how you work with the land or how it easily it is to um, modify uh, certain areas. So I won't ask you to name names. That would be terribly unfair. But is there an example of, you know, uh, a well-known golf course let's say, that you were approached to work on, but for whatever reason decided to pass on the opportunity. It's like, mm, on reflection, that's not the right one for me. Does that happen? <laughs> I mean, you know, when I started out, I think um, I was trying to do uh, or find clients or do take on jobs that were at the level that I'd worked at before, right? Because, mm-hmm. you know, we I'd worked at a high level uh, and wanted to kind of maintain that. So there there has been times when I think there just wasn't the commitment and, you know, that from the other side that they really were looking for something maybe a little more, you know, middle of the road. They weren't really looking for as much of the quality. And um, you you feel that. And that's part of the interview process for everybody to get to know each other Mm -hmm. and kind of what what are the goals of each side. And because, I mean, people that hire me want me to be engaged, and I am, and I'm fully engaged Um, at the same time. I'm looking for folks that have that same commitment and that same, you know, desire to create something special. So, um, but yeah, there, we, we turn down quite a few projects. We're not doing a lot of RFPs anymore, um, requests for proposals and, and really, you know, most people that call us, they played our golf courses. They know now enough about our portfolio, but, um, and, but yeah, we, we're still a boutique firm. Mm -hmm. And, uh, so we can do some courses that, you know, as far as from a, a, a remodel standpoint that are maybe a, more transformative than just, you know, little tinkering, um, that interests me a lot more. Mm-hmm. I mean, you've only got so many hours in a day or people that are really trying to do some kind of, you know, what they call it, a trophy property or, or uh, legacy uh, type of project. Those are Those are fun to do as well. And so, you know, we try to kind of also say yes and say no at the same time. But yeah, no, I mean, it's been great. It's been really fun to to think that we started 25 years ago and I was out here just scrapping, trying to tell my story about, you know, (laughs) what I wanted to achieve and wanted to do. And now we're actually doing it and realize, you know, we've got a good body of work that have been in the world, you know, top 100 in Asia and the U.S. and Europe and and, uh, to and, and uh, to have that kind of portfolio out there, I think really kind of helps us in all those different markets. And so we're seeing work, more work in Asia than we've ever had before. And there's some good opportunities down there and excited about a new project we're gonna be taking off on here shortly in New Zealand. And um, so, yeah, it's all it good. feels like one of the big buzzwords in golf course design at the moment is restoration. You see an awful lot of restorative projects and the opportunity to go back and look at books from the 1920s or plans from the 19, you know, early 1900s and 
you know, throw the course back to how it used to look. Yeah. Is that the sort of thing that you quite like getting your hands on as well? Yeah, we do. I mean, but I think just that topic is you're probably going to have more than today to talk about that with other designers mm. or within the business. Some people take that word, which is quite popular to, to people get enamored by, this is going to be a restoration. Mm, Sounds a yeah. bit romantic. <laughs> Members uh, get romantic. Remember how it used to look. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and uh, so we do that. And we've done some, you know, we took California Golf Club there outside of San Francisco and brought it into a, a level that it never had been before. And kind of went back to an era of the McKinsey had rebunkered the golf course in 1928. So that's the, the look and feel we decided to go for. But they had, routing had changed because of impacts in the, into the property with, you know, a, a road on one side that the, had, had been developed over the years. And so a lot of times you can't literally restore all 18 holes, right? Mm -hmm. Sometimes you can. So, um, but one of the questions comes up, are we doing a literal restoration or not? And let's say we say yes. So what does literal mean? Does it mean that I'm going to take those old pictures you talked about and stand on exactly the same spot and try to replicate exactly where that bunker was to find all those old spots and put it exactly back like it was? Or am I going to combine that with the architect's original intent? Because a lot of the bunkers that were originally you know, guarding a fairway and, and narrowing the landing area for the better players are now carry bunkers for the better players. So some bunkers sometimes to restore the intent, the original design intent of a particular feature, it things need to be shifted. The T needs to be pulled back, for example. Mm -hmm. Or even you think about some of the par fours that now today at the same length, if we restore them to the same length, you're hitting a short iron end. You might be hitting a eight or nine or wedge even into the green, when then you were hitting a mid iron into the green. So is that green as it was really defendable in the right way for today's game? So I try to at least be open to that, to being able to, to have that kind of ability to, to discern, try to discern, to think, okay, if that architect was with me today, knowing his larger body of work, walking down the fairway with me and we were discussing this, how would they have maybe themselves agreed that this thing should be slightly modified and not just exactly a copy paste of the original? Because mm -hmm. the technology, you know, has changed so, so much. And most of these courses we're talking about normally were built in the 20s or 30s, um, 100 years ago. So yeah. It really, it's a, it's a good, fun discussion, you know, for another day, really. <laughs> Absolutely. Into what it's a whole separate podcast, isn't it? It, it is. It really is. <laughs> it is, it is the, but there's a lot of people doing really good work with that today, mm. and it's, it's, it's fun to, to see, um, you know, it's kind of back to the future, which is great. Absolutely. A few more things. I noticed that the equipment manufacturers, as you can imagine, golf club equipment manufacturers, we are paying very close attention to the recent news from the RNA and USGA about hitting distances and their plans for a, a golf ball rollback at the elite level of the game. Were golf course designers paying much attention to, to that as well, Kyle? I'm always interested, but there's been talk about this, as you know, for our entire lives. Um, you know, you read books by architects 100 years ago, and they were talking about the need to control the technology, mm -hmm. right? And that how, you know, what the ideal golf course was lengthwise, and then how, you know, that those were no longer relevant and you needed the length in courses. That's been ongoing, but it is pretty uh, incredible how long the game has become, particularly at the pro level. But mm -hmm. I think probably what 
that makes it the most challenging for me is the delta between the way a pro hits the ball today and let's say the you know the average senior type type player hits the ball because they don't get that vantage they may be hit the ball more accurately but they don't really get the distance so the number of tees you see where you used to have a course with three <laughs> yeah. tees and now it's four five six seven tee markers and then you know the the pros are hitting the ball you know 50 60 70 yards better than a, than a scratch handicap you know member uh, club champion and so yeah it 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 does really make it a lot more challenging to to create angles and then you you can't it's hard to play a golf course you know every day and then turn that immediately the next day and and challenge the pros so Mm -hmm. you really have to think about green speeds as we do and how those can be turned up how you can um, bring rough in or or even make let's say where the ball runs away make that that tighter to run away so how do you how can you turn up the difficulty for an event uh, easier designing a golf course, and I think more so today than ever, just because of the delta between you know what a, you know what a zero handicap is and a plus six mm. is. Yeah, absolutely. You did mention that you did mention that you play as well. What's it like playing your own golf course designs? Are you you, you have, I mean, there's obviously for a start no surprises I can imagine because you built it. There shouldn't be surprises. <laughs> but to what extent can you enjoy it? Are you critical of it? What's that like? You know, not only my own golf courses, but it's hard to play golf just even in a course I haven't played that somebody else's work, uh, whether it's a living architect or a, I mean, I find myself, you know, really not as interested in playing as I want to see the architecture. <laughs> so I'm doing zigzags. If I'm not, if it's not because I'm zigzagging down the ferry, cause I'm hitting it left and right that day, but zigzagging <laughs> around. Exactly. But zigzagging around just because I'm so interested in the architecture and I want to see behind the green and I want to see behind the bunker and how did they do this and what's going on there and how deep is that and how wide is this and pacing things off so to the extent I can get out and actually see a golf course and catch a time early in the morning or late in the evening and be able to get around and walk it and look at it and kind of do that before I play always makes the round much more enjoyable so there is a lot of brain damage you know when you're in this business (laughs) to try to then go out whether it's your own course or not my own course you do know about it so for me I'm more interested in not what I think about it and in how my view is of it but what everybody else thinks at that point because you know you you put all this into it you try to anticipate how it's going to play and um you know the conditioning it's going to it's going to have turf wise because that makes a big difference on how fast greens are going to run if it's a warm season turf or if it's you know fine fescue on sand and it can be firm and run so all of that you know you factored in and so you've tried to get all the contours and everything laid out perfectly and so what um you know what the other people now think about it is much more important than what you're I think about their it. body language and you're assessing well, are they frowning are they you smiling? Know, I mean I found that if everybody loves a hole then it's 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 probably a really good hole if everybody loves it and then it, sometimes both the best holes are the ones that are a bit controversial right mm. where you'll be a real debate you know and because um, you are trying to live in on the edge sometimes when you create think about some of the best holes where they but it needs to be something obviously that people feel like there's a challenge but there is the opportunity for victory right mm. that they can they can conquer it and uh, some of that comes with knowledge of the of the course and time and that's one thing i try to build in is that 
um, ability to, to learn each time you play more and more. But at least the first time, you're not wondering, does the hole go left or right? So mm -hmm. on a macro level, you have some sense of what's expected of you on the first play. But as you play it more and more, there's more revealed about if the pin's cut over here, then I want to maybe approach more from that angle that may be not just obvious. It may be more uh, little subtleties that are created into the design. And so when people start to recognize those subtleties, then I think we've done a, a pretty good job because that's, that's a big part of it. Final thing, technology is obviously advancing all mm -hmm. the time, not just in the equipment that players use right. and the, the equipment that you use and the equipment that greenkeepers use. And it feels like we're approaching a, a bit of a seminal moment in society with AI and, and so oh, yeah. on and so forth. Oh, okay. How... Could AI, I mean, it's going to impact everyone, I think, but how could that change the golf course design business? Could it change it for the better? What are the opportunities? What are the challenges? It's going to be hard. It'll be hard to say. I mean, uh, how far does it go? I mean, really, it, it in, in, you know, the, how the programming is going to, going to evolve. I, I think it's, it could, I mean, you could say, design me a, probably a three-bedroom, two-bath house in a, whatever Frank Lloyd Wright style or whatever, whatever, whatever. <laughs> and, and, and would it kick it out in the same way? You know, would it be able to kick out a Kyle Phillips golf course, you know, in circa 2000 or something, right? Um, so it would be very interesting to see. But uh, I think too, part of that is, you know, Frank Lloyd Wright had a clear style. And I think we've tried to, I've tried to really customize what we do and in, in depending on the story we're trying to, to, to tell about that particular facility and the location it's in and the surrounds it's in and so forth. So strategically, and there's some definitely uh, some definite principles that I incorporate in all of our courses um, that really come back to my love for Lynx golf and, and how Lynx golf is played. But stylistically, they can be very different. And I'm not sure, you know, that difference between the, the, the feeling aspect and then the, the actual maybe uh, geometry part of what we do and angles and, and all of that. But um, yeah, no, it'd be very interesting to see. Well, is there a day that you could just say, I want one of those? And it, it would just spit that right out for you. It's but a scary thought, isn't it? It is a very scary thought where this is all going to be. <laughs> it's very Skynet-Terminator-esque, do, 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 do me a podcast, please, of 36 <laughs> minutes. and <laughs> Quite possibly going to happen before we know it. Jeez. Anyway, Kyle, I could talk to you for hours and hours. We'll come Thank back and talk Chief Waiters another day. Oh, you had to just throw it in one more time, <laughs> didn't you? <laughs> I'll tell you what, come back next February when we've got the Lombardi Trophy. I love it. That's, that's what uh, we're after. All right, there you go. <laughs> Kyle Phillips, thank you so much thank for your you. time. All right, bye now. Thank you to Kyle. How good was that? What a, what a lovely man. And as I said, Dundonald, an incredible place. Go and check it out. You will not be disappointed. I am, however, disappointed as we move on to the Podder of Merit because things were going so well. And then last week, wheels came off at the PGA. So as it stood going into last week, it was Bryce for yours truly eight. Bryce, you picked Cam Smith, our cover star for this issue. You basically, when I asked you why, you, you kind of waffled, to be completely honest. And I think you just came to the conclusion that, ah, well, I'm picking him because I'm picking him. I actually think the fact he was the cover star was the single biggest Holy part shit. of your reasoning. Holy shit, man, the disrespect. Hey, the disrespect right? took off the table that I just plucked this player's champion, open champion at a thin air. Was I wrong? No, you were <laughs> perfectly correct. Because now we're going to throw you the compliment. Inspired pick. 
I know it was fluke. It wasn't a fluke. He did play well the previous week and I said he would come Mm -hmm. on to a game and I like his style. You're just a bit pissed off that Jason Day honked it. He did. That's what you're annoyed about. I I don't like losing. And to be fair, I've not had much experience of that in this game. But fair play to you. Cam Smith, tie for ninth. Decent. I picked Jason Day. I thought he was going places. He obviously was coming off the back of the win at the Byron Nelson. And then... Pretty much that afternoon, after we'd finished recording the podcast, I go yes. and read his transcript and he yes. says, yeah, I'm not going to look at the golf course. And then I thought, ooh. Yeah, that's, I, I have, I mean, I, was that a health thing? Was it mm. a, what is he thinking? Uh, uh, genuinely, that's really, really stupid. I, I yeah. thought that was really embarrassing. And I think if you're the superintendent at Oak Hill and a guy who's already won a major, has won the PGA Championship in the past, has been a world number one, has won the previous week and turns up at the event that you've set the golf course up for and he says, yeah, I'm just going to turn up on Thursday and I'm not going to play it beforehand. You'd be like, oh. And you'd be right. Yeah, he paid the price. That's a stupid move. Missed the cut by a mile. Yeah, it was shocking. So So thanks, Jason. Appreciate that. So as it stands, Bryce, the point is yours. Bryce, five, Michael, eight. And we move on this week to the Charles Schwab Challenge. Try saying that very fast when you've had a couple of drinks at Colonial. And the honour is yours. Thank you. Charles Schwab is a... <laughs> yes, guess the sponsor. Guess the sponsor. They're insurance, are they not? Certainly sound like it. Charles Schwab. Is that your answer? Yeah, I think they're insurance. I've read the first line on their website and I'm still none the wiser. A modern approach to investing in retirement. Charles Schwab offers a wide range of investment advice, products and services, including brokerage and retirement accounts, ETFs, WTF is that, online trading and more. Finance stuff. Uh, Yeah, Yeah, so not insurance. We probably should have guessed it got something to do with retirement because they've been back in the PGA Championship for a while. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, sorry about that. We got that wrong. So we don't know that sponsor. Hang on. What is Charles Schwab known for? Schwab took an early lead in the industry, offering a combination of low prices and fast, efficient order executions, <laughs> and soon became the nation's largest discount broker. Today, the company is the nation's largest publicly traded investment services firm with around, holy shit, $7.8 trillion in client assets. Trillion. Yeah. Fast something executions. Ignore it, please. Move on. <laughs> No, no, no. I didn't see anything. You didn't need to. Let's have your pick, please, and save us (laughs) us letters and litigation. I'm going to go for Max Homer. Right, so I've got bad news for you. You can't have Homer. You picked him right at the very start. Steve the Ref will back me on this. Steve Steve the Ref right now is going, Yeah! (laughs) Uh, Like that. Red, red, red. Red, red. So, yeah, you picked him in the third event, which, unfortunately for us, Steve hasn't marked down what they were, but I had Ricky Fowler that week. So it was the week after Pebble Beach where Justin Rose won and I got the two points. You picked Max Homa. I think, is that Genesis? Must be Genesis Invitational. You had yes, for I that. picked him because, it, yeah. Uh, right, I'll tell you what then, I will... So sorry, sorry about that. You cannot have that. I, I will pick an Englishman. I'm going to go with Justin Rose, who's playing some pretty good golf right now. It's a great shout. And, uh, you know, he's a pretty decent weekend. So coming yeah, off the back, not many people know this, but he was coming off the back of not having been particularly well during a few weeks back home. Yeah. He'd been laid up 
for a couple of weeks, yep. not able to go and practice or play very much, or certainly not to the extent that he wanted to. He delayed going over to the States because of that and then showed up and showed up very, very well. Yeah. Something is firing right now for Justin Rose. So, so I like it. It's a good shout. JR's my man. Okay. Ah, don't know. I do not know. I am going to play it incredibly safe, incredibly boring, and I'm going to go with the defending champion, Sam Burns. Yeah. Four top 10 finishes this season. Obviously won the match play. He beat Scotty Scheffler on a playoff at Colonial last season, one of three wins that he got. Scheffler's going there as well. I mean, the smart money would be to go with Scheffler, but I don't want to play that card on... It's too big of an event to play... Sorry, too small of an event to play that big of a card. So I'm going to go with Sam Burns. I'm just checking to see, have I picked him previously? No, I have not. So we're all good. Colonial this week, Bryce, Justin Rose, yours truly, Sam Burns. It is 8-5 to me. Remember, I can win this current season with a Sam Burns victory this week. Arrogant. Okay, honesty box, let's finish up there. Bryce, this is a question that has come up a fair bit in recent times. Brooks Kepk is now a five-time major champion, but there's obviously an awful lot of one-time major champions. There's an even bigger list of players who've never won a major. But an extensive, deep list of players who have, inverted commas, only won one major. Who is the best one-time major champion of all time? And I want an explanation. I want some workings for this, please. I mean, it can be opinion. Obviously, it's opinion, but it has to be, be good. It'd be good if yeah, you can back because, it up a little bit because you'll you'll um you'll be going through different eras as well, and mm. you always you can't really compare eras. He's um, never stopped us before. Exactly. Aye. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, that's tough. Oh, I, I, you know what? In my lifetime, I've probably never seen a better player play such good golf and only turn up effectively once and that was David Duval 2001 One, yeah. Open was that Lytham did he win it he won yes Lytham, he? yes he did what's exceptional about Duval is that, that he went to world number one he won the Open he was absolutely unplayable in that spell but didn't win anything else and he won it at what Tiger was at his absolute peak Mm-hmm. And he then, I don't know, there's there's a lot that happened with Duval. A lot of things we probably shouldn't go into in the pod because it's not our business. But a lot of things that happened. And he just never recovered. He I mean, never. He, he completely disappeared. Completely disappeared. He only ever came back really once. And I think that was the, was that the 2000? And you mentioned nine. The, the nine. That look, Lucas Glover when yeah. that US Open and Duval was in the mix. And I thought, holy hell, where are they? Where's he come from? But he was, he was exceptional in the in the Ryder Cup. He played well. For, did he not win at St Andrews with Tiger in the Dunhill? Did he win that? The Dunhill Cup, yes, he did. did Him and and Tiger. You know, at that time, VJ was incredible. Tiger was incredible, and for a, for quite a spell, Deval was just absolutely outrageous. So so good, and then disappeared. There isn't a player in the world who wouldn't have wanted what he had for that spell in 2001, 2000, 2001. 
he was pretty complete, wasn't he? There yeah. wasn't really any weakness. No. Every time he rocked up, it looked like he was going to win. He was Great shooting fifty nine before everybody was yeah. shooting fifty nine. And I know he had, you know, he had back injuries, and God, I know all about that. But he, he and I, that affected him. But there were some other things that went on, and that probably affected him a bit more. And he just never, never did it again. It's yeah. incredible, and and you know that whole story that the, the 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 famous quote where he said, you know, he got to world number one, won a major, and it's like he climbed the mountain and said, "Is this it?" That to me says all about his mentality. That was it. Finished. Yeah. It must be strange to like do something that you've always wanted to do to fulfil an ambition and be underwhelmed by it. Almost. Yeah, I don't. I don't understand that. And I, I, I know that Brooks Kepka last night. He wasn't going over the board with the celebrations. He 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 he's thinking his pals were. Yeah, he's thinking. Are you and Murray having to apologise every two seconds? <laughs> no, Sorry about the language there, ladies that and gentlemen. That was that was. As yet another guy rocks up. Fucking yeah, yeah. man! Yo, <laughs> again, apologies, apologies for the language. Again. Sorry about that. Yeah, uh, you just know that Kepka's thinking more. That is what he's thinking yeah. more. It's like excellent. I've won it. Yeah, Next. that's what you know when Tiger and Annika were winning majors and uh, they were texting each other. You know, Tiger would yeah. like, I've got another one, what have you got? And she would win one, she'd be like, Yeah, I've got another one. That mentality was not with Duval. You just said something there that's very, very interesting. I always do. You just mentioned Tiger and Annika. I mean, Tiger's only the only person close to Tiger in terms of major achievement and the rate of victory, if you like, at that time was Annika. The dominance. She, when did she retire? Hey. I'll save you the hassle. End of two thousand and eight, uh-huh. and what's Tiger only done once for a multitude of reasons? But no one's ever really discussed the fact that he didn't have anybody else to needle him. Yeah, well, since then, thought you were suggesting something else there, Michael. I'm not sure uh, what you're getting at. Well, let's not go there. So for me, I, I hear you. I think that's a great shout. I am inclined to go with somebody else. However, a man who makes me look exceedingly tall. I know who you're going to go with. Go for it. Wizzy. Correct. Now, I'll come to some of the answers that we got to this question on the social media channels in a second. But I've seen an awful lot of people say, Adam Scott, you know, how could he only win once with that incredible swing? And for me, I couldn't really give a toss about how good somebody's swing is. There's many ways to swing a club, and it's how it hits the ball that matters. Jim Furyk has won one major championship swinging it the way he swings. <laughs> I know he's getting absolutely You roasted. went from a beautiful swing to Jim Furyk. But you know, I, I guess the point I'm making is people, disgusting. Get total, <laughs> people get so completely consumed with, oh, well, he, he's, it, his swing looks beautiful, so it should lead to great results. It doesn't work like that. If, if you if you speak to people back then, they will tell you that his ball strike, Wizzy's ball striking was on another planet. And that is the difference. Yeah. It's and that, ball striking and for me. The, and the game was different then. You didn't you didn't get anywhere unless you were seriously good. And I do think there are players out there right now who are n- absolutely nowhere near what Woozy could do. Uh, un- exactly. We were and using about, that kind of equipment as yeah. well. I mean, he wasn't using a 460cc head or anything yeah, yeah, like that. He's a phenomenal gravy. driver of the ball. He was great with his irons. But to be fair, he shouldn't, let's go there, he shouldn't have one major championship. And that's why I'm picking him. Uh-huh. Because the point is, who's should, the greatest of all? It's the guy who should have way more than he that. Should, he should. But, but when you go back to what happened with... Uh, well, you just spoke about it, 2001 at Lytham. David Duval shouldn't have won that. Yeah, potentially. 52 professional wins for Woozy, by the way, around the world. That's incredible when you think about it, isn't it? Yeah, that's amazing. His major record, listen, <laughs> objectively not the greatest major championship record but in then, the world. But then if you look at that, uh, uh, look at um, Sandy Lyle's major record. Oh, honking. Terrible. <laughs> 
take take out the two wins and I know. But I mean, where's he? He's got what was he? Let's see. After winning the Masters in 1991, he has had only four major top tens. Yeah. Which is quite remarkable, really, when you think about it. But I mean, the guy, listen, he spent 50 weeks as world number one. He was that good a player, was a prolific winner. Only got that one. For, for me, at a time, by the way, that it was seriously deep in terms of competition. <laughs> it was in Europe anyway. Look at yeah. what he's playing against. Faldo, so, yeah. Seve, Langer. Langer. Lyle, Alathabal breaking through, and that's not even touching the Americans at the time, like Fred Couples, Paul Lazinger. You could make a case for them potentially as well. Mm -hmm. but, but for me, the, the man is woozy. I'm going to give you a couple of the answers that we got just before we finish up on social media. We asked this question on the Bunkered Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash Bunkered. Adam Ferguson, it's a tough one, but he has listed a few. Tom Kite, Paul Lazinger, Fred Couples, Bob Charles... Mm -hmm. and Adam Scott, Julian Foote, another one for Freddie Couples, such an amazing swing. <laughs> I, I kind of proving my point again, though it's not really just about the swing, and a wonderful laid-back personality. To me, that's the bigger thing. He was so laid-back. He didn't look aggravated. He could have potentially used that to his advantage a bit more than he did. Michael Laurie, Y.E. Yang, the man beat Tiger in the final round. <laughs> He's, who, mm. who's, who, who said that? Someone, Michael Laurie. Get him blocked. Okay, sorry, Michael. Matt Glenister, Michael Campbell, 2005 US Open. He put a New Zealand flag next to it, and without opening his profile, I'm going to suggest that Matt Glenister is a Kiwi. We'll see. Pete Scott, Ben Curtis, or Todd Hamilton? The question wasn't the most obscure, Pete. I think you got that wrong. Get him blocked as well. Scott Cruikshank, everyone's forgetting Darren Clark. Now, that's yes, quite a good that's point. That's a very good shout, yeah. Let me see a couple more. Because for a long time, Darren Clark was one of the only guys to win, like, was it two World Golf Championships yes. alongside Tiger? Yeah, yeah. Yes. And Colin Fairweather, his favourite, he says, Paul Laurie. That one was brilliant. The best, however, that he's going for. His pick, answering the question, he says he was due one and won me a few dollars. Sergio Garcia. If you put aside all of the other stuff, Sergio has only what stuff? one... You know only too well. What stuff? The noise, the petulance, what, no, what the childish petulance? immaturity. What childish immaturity? The attacking What is it you're referring to? The kicking the shoes into the rivers and stuff like that? The, the spitting? The... Swearing? All of the above. <laughs> if Ooh. we're able to separate that from the player, yeah, Sergio Garcia, best player of yeah. all time with only one major Certainly win. Certainly pretty close. But I think... Peak Sergio against Peak Duval. I'm picking Duval. One last one. Chap here's gone for Craig Wood, the 1942 Masters champion. He says he's not sure why he's drawn to that. And that is from someone called Craig Wood. <laughs> so there we go. I think we know why he's choosing him. Okay. Anyway, that is it for this week. Thank you to Kyle Phillips and the team at Dundonald, first and foremost. Thank you to Callaway for their continued support. Thank you to you. Thank you, Price, Michael. Richie. Thank you. What have you got planned for the rest of the day? I've got a really nice lunch that I'm going to enjoy. Which is? A burrata, some parma ham, and a scotch egg. Uh, a, a what? A bar... Doesn't matter. A burrata? Just close the show. It's fine. Good people will giggle it. Okay. Well, enjoy that, and I'll see you again next week. And I'll see you all again next week, hopefully. In the meantime, thank you for listening. Bye-bye for now.